Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, November 6th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all approached from a biblical worldview. Very, very trustworthy listening for you over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there you want to listen to, and there's a very good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. So it's a heck of a problem to have, you know, first world issues, right? Um, All right. So again, I would encourage you to go on over there. I also want to continue to point you at the next to last link in our show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commit to establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative for our community. Excuse me. Um, So go ahead and click on it. um, Give it a read. Pastor Jay has provided a very thorough description of what we're trying to do. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Well, we are back in on a Monday. We're back into our regular week. So we'll be doing our Bible reading this morning. And then we'll be continuing on in the evening segment, doing our Bible study in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14. And we'll be wrapping up John chapter 14 this week, God willing. So let's go ahead and open up with the second day morning prayer. It's called God over all. Excuse me. All right, let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever. God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring and thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives, and regulate the discharge of all our duties so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. And excuse me, I seem to be kind of phlegmy in my throat. All right. Our morning devotion here from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Uh, The text for it is from Isaiah 44.3. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. When a believer has fallen into a low, sad state, 
of feeling, he often tries to lift himself out of it by chastening himself with dark and doleful fears. Such is not the way to rise from the dust, but to continue in it, as well change the eagle's wing to make it mount, as doubt in order to increase our grace. It is not the law, but the gospel which saves the seeking soul at first, and it is not a legal bondage, but gospel liberty which can restore the fainting believer afterwards. Slavish fear brings not back the backslider to God, but the sweetest wooings of love allure him to Jesus' bosom. Are you this morning sorry, thirsting for the living God and unhappy because you cannot find him to the delight of your heart? Have you lost the joy of religion, and is this your prayer? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Are you conscious also that you are barren, like the dry ground, that you are not bringing forth the fruit unto God which he has a right to expect of you, that you are not so useful in the church or in the world as your heart desires to be? Then here is exactly the promise which you need. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty." You shall receive the grace you so much require, and you shall have it to the utmost reach of your needs. Water refreshes the thirsty. You shall be refreshed. Your desire shall be gratified. Water quickens sleeping vegetables' life. Your life shall be quickened by fresh grace. Water swells the buds and makes the fruit ripen. You shall have fructifying grace. You shall be made fruitful in the ways of God. Whatever good quality there is in divine grace, you shall enjoy it to the full. All the riches of divine grace you shall receive in plenty. You shall be as it were drenched with it, and as sometimes the meadows become flooded by the bursting rivers, and the fields are turned into pools, so shall you be. The thirsty land shall be springs of water. All right. So our reading today, Ezekiel 14, verse 12, through Ezekiel 16, verse 41, which is not actually the end of Ezekiel 16, uh, Hebrews 7, verse 18 through 28, Psalm 106, verses 1 through 12, and Proverbs 27, verses 4 through 6. So Ezekiel 14, verse 12, hear the word of the Lord. Then the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it, break its staff of bread, send famine against it, and cut off from it both man and beast, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness they could only deliver themselves, declares Lord Yahweh. If I were to cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they bereaved it of children, and it became desolate so that no one would pass through it because of the beasts... Though these three men were in its midst as I live, declares Lord Yahweh, they could not deliver either their sons or their daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the country would become desolate. Or if I should bring a sword on that country and say, Let the sword pass through the country and cut off man and beast from it. Even though these three men were in its midst as I live, declares Lord Yahweh, they could not deliver either their sons or their daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Or if I should send a plague against that country and pour out my wrath and blood on it to cut off man and beast from it. Even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, in its midst, as I live, declares Lord Yahweh, they could not deliver either their son or their daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. For thus says Lord Yahweh, How much more when I send my four calamitous judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, wild beasts, and plague, to cut off man and beast from it. 
Yet behold, survivors will be left in it who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Behold, they are going to come forth to you, and you will see their way and actions. Then you will be comforted for the, for the calamity which I have brought against Jerusalem for everything which I have brought upon it. Then they will comfort you when you see their way and actions. So you will know that I have not done in vain all that I did to it, declares Lord Yahweh. Ezekiel 15 <clears throat> Then the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any wood of a branch, which is among the trees of the forest? Can wood be taken from it to make anything, or can men take a peg from it on which to hang any vessel? If it has been put into the fire for fuel, and the fire has consumed both of its ends, and its middle part has been charred, is it then useful for anything? Behold, while it is intact, it is not made into anything. How much less, when the fire has consumed it and it is charred, can it still be made into anything? Therefore thus says Lord Yahweh, As the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will give my face to be against them. Though they have come out of the fire, yet the fire will consume them. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, when I set my face against them. Thus I will give over the... The land to desolation because they have acted unfaithfully, declares your Lord Yahweh. Ezekiel 16 through to verse 41. Then the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says Lord Yahweh to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for, for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in clothes. No, I had pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for your soul was abhorred on the day you were born. Then I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood. So I said to you while you were in your blood, Live. Indeed, I said to you while you were in your blood, Live. I made you numerous like plants of the field. Then you grew up, became tall, and came into the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed, and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you, so that you became mine, declared Lord Yahweh. Then I washed you with water, rinsed your blood off from you, and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of porpoise skin on your feet. And I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I also adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a splendid crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, so you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your name went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my majesty which I set on you, declares Lord Yahweh. But you trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of, because of your name, and you poured out your harlotries on every passerby who might be willing. You took some of your clothes, made for yourself high places of various colors, and played the harlot on them, which should never come about nor happen. You also took your splendid jewelry, made of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself male images that you might play the harlot with them. Then you took your embroidered cloth and covered them, and gave my oil and my incense before them. 
Also my bread, which I gave you, fine flour, oil, and honey, with which I had you eat, you gave before them for a soothing aroma, so it happened, declares Lord Yahweh. Moreover, you took your sons and daughters whom you had borne to me, and sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Were your harlotries no so small a matter? You slaughtered my children and gave them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. Besides all your abominations and harlotries, you did not remember the days of your, de of your youth, when you were naked and bare, you were squirming in your blood. Now it happened after all your evil. Woe, woe to you, declares Lord Yahweh, that you built yourself a shrine and made yourself a high place in every square. You built yourself a high place at the head of every street, and made your beauty abominable, and you spread your legs to every passerby to multiply your harlotry. You also played the harlot with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, and you multiplied your harlotry to provoke me to anger. Behold now, I have stretched out my hand against you and cut off your rations, and I gave you up to the desire of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines who are ashamed of your lewd ways. Moreover, you played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. You played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. You also multiplied your harlotry with the land of merchants, Chaldea, yet even with this you were not satisfied. How languishing is your heart, declares Lord Yahweh, while you do all these things the actions of a bold-faced harlot. When you built your shrine at the head of every way and made your high places in every square, in disdaining your earnings you are not like a harlot, you adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men give, men give gifts to all harlots, but you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from all around for your har harlotries. Thus you are the opposite of those women in your harlotries, in that no one plays the harlot as you do, because you give away your earnings and no earnings are given to you. Thus you are the opposite. Therefore, O harlot, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says Lord Yahweh, because your lewdness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered through your harlotries with your lovers and with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your sons which you gave to idols. Therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you look took pleasure, even all those whom you loved and all those whom you hated. So I will gather them against you from all around and uncover your nakedness to them and they may see all your naked that they may see all your nakedness. Thus I will judge you like women who commit adultery or shed blood are judged, and I will bring on you the blood of wrath and jealousy. I will also give you into the hands of your lovers, and they will pull down your shrines, tear down your high places, strip you of your clothing, take away your splendid jewelry, and will leave you naked and bare. And they will bring up an assembly against you, and they will stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords. They will burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women. Then I will make you cease from playing the harlot, and you will also no longer give your earnings to your lovers. All right. Hebrews 7 verses 18 through 28. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath, though the one through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So much more Jesus also has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And the former priests on the one hand existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. 
Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Psalm 106 verses 1-12 through 12. Praise Yah, O give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever who can speak of the mighty deeds of Yahweh, or can make all his praise to be heard. How blessed are those who keep justice, and he who does righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Yahweh, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the goodness of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may boast with your inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not consider your wondrous deeds. They did not remember your abundant loving kindnesses, but they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his might known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up, and he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them. And he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. In Proverbs 27, verses 4 through 6. Wrath is cruelty and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is reproof that is revealed than love that is hidden. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Thank you for spending this time with me. I, I continue to pray that this time together helps you to stay saturated in the word of God. Again, this should not be a replacement for your own reading and studying and meditation on the word of God. Um, it should come alongside that. Okay, so so please do so. You need to be in the word. We, we all need to be in the world word constantly, daily. Okay, so I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. Um, I will continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with one um, from Valley Vision called Self-Depreciation. Let's pray. Oh Lord, my every sense, member, faculty, affection is a snare to me. I can scarce open my eyes, but I envy those above me or despise those below. I covet honor and riches of the mighty and am proud and unmerciful to the rags. Uh, I'm sorry, to the rags of others. If I behold beauty, it is a bait to lust, or see deformity, it stirs up loathing and disdain. How soon do slanders, vain jests, and wanton speeches creep into my heart? Am I comely? What fuel for pride? Am I deformed? What an occasion for repining? Am I gifted? I lust after applause. Am I unlearned? How I despise what I have not. Am I an authority? How prone to abuse my trust. Make will my law, exclude others' enjoyments, serve my own interests and policy. Am I inferior? How much I grudge others' preeminence. Am I rich? How exalted I become. Thou knowest that all these are snares by my corruptions, and that my greatest snare is myself. I bewail that my apprehensions are dull, my thoughts mean, my affections stupid, my expression low, my life unbeseeming. Yet what canst thou expect of dust but levity, 
of but levity, of corruption, but defilement. Keep me ever mindful of my natural state, but let me not forget my heavenly title or the grace that can deal with every sin. Amen. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for spending this time this morning with me. And again, I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, November 6th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 14, uh, working our way through. We should be finishing up this week, so we're going to go ahead and dive straight in. But what I wanted to do, I forgot to point it out in the... In the uh, morning segment, but this is the 400th regular episode of the podcast. So 400th regular episode. I mean, that's really, really cool, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm kind of doing well, except when I've taken a few breaks, I'm kind of doing one a day. So it's not, it's not like I'm doing one a week and you know, I'm eight years down the road or anything like that, but it is pretty neat. So this is the 400, 400th episode. So let's go ahead and open up with prayer. The prayer we're going to use from Valley Vision to open up this evening segment is called Living for Jesus. So let's pray. O Savior of sinners, thy name is excellent, thy glory high, thy compassions unfailing, thy condescensions wonderful, thy mercy tender. I bless thee for the discoveries, invitations, promises of the gospel, for in them is pardon for rebels, liberty for captives, health for the sick, salvation for the lost. I come to thee in thy beloved name of Jesus. Reimpress thy image upon my soul. Raise me above the smiles and frowns of the world, regarding it as a light thing to be judged by men. May thy approbations be my only aim, thy word my one rule. Make me to abhor that which grieves thy Holy Spirit, to suspect the consolations of a worldly nature, to shun a careless way of life, to reprove evil, to instruct with meekness those who oppose me, to be gentle and patient towards all men to be not only a professor, but an example of the gospel, displaying in every relation, office, and condition its excellency, loveliness, and advantages. How little have I illustrated my principles and improved my privileges. How seldom I served my generation. How often have I injured and not recommended my Redeemer. How few are those blessed through me. In many things I have offended, and all come short of thy glory. Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Amen. All right, the evening uh, devotion for um, Spur- from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for uh, November 6th. Uh, the text for it is from Hebrews 9.20, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. There is a strange power about the very name of blood, and the sight of it is always affecting. A kind heart cannot bear to see a sparrow bleed, and unless familiarized by use, turns away with horror at the slaughter of a beast. As to the blood of men, it is a consecrated thing. It is murder to shed it in wrath. It is a dreadful crime to squander it in war. Is this solemnity occasioned by the fact that the blood is the life and the pouring of it forth the token of death? We think so. When we rise to contemplate the blood of the Son of God, our awe is yet more increased, and we shudder as we think of the guilt of sin and the terrible penalty which the sin-bearer endured. 
Blood, always precious, is priceless when it streams from Emmanuel's side. The blood of Jesus seals the covenant of grace and makes it forever sure. Covenants of old were made by sacrifice, and the everlasting covenant was ratified in the same manner. Oh, the delight of being saved upon the sure foundation of divine engagements, which cannot be dishonored. Salvation by the works of the law is a frail and broken vessel whose shipwreck is sure. But the covenant vessel fears no storms, for the blood ensures the whole. The blood of Jesus made his testament valid. Wills are of no power unless the test testator die. In this light, the soldier's spear is a blessed aid to faith, since it proved our Lord to be really dead. Doubts upon that matter there can be none, and we may boldly appropriate the legacies which he has left for his people. Happy they who see their title to heavenly blessings assured to them by a dying Savior. But has this blood no voice to us? Does it not bid us sancti sancti I'm sorry, does it not bid us sanctify ourselves unto him by whom we have been redeemed? Does it not call us to newness of life and incite us to entire consecration to the Lord? Oh, that the power of the blood might be known and felt in us this night. All right. Hang on a second. I'm going to get some water here. Where did I put my water bottle? There it is. Oh, and that was the last of it. Okay. So like I said, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 14. And uh, we're we're in a new section here. Um, and, and we started it up on Friday. We're in a section about what does Jesus' death mean to him? What does Jesus' death mean to him? So, you know, we've come through, just to set a little context, and I'll try to do this very quickly because I know I've done it a couple of times. Again, the, for the disciples, things are falling apart. Things are falling apart for them. Um, you know, they, they've got this guy, their, their Messiah, that they that unfortunately they misunderstood. They think he's an earthly Messiah. Um, but he's making clear to them, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a servant. I'm here as a servant. Even though I'm your king, I'm here as a servant. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be denied and I'm going to be crucified. And so, I mean, this guy they've been depending on for three years now. Um, I mean, and it just came from being his disciple and from people contributing to the ministry, but he's been, they've been depending on him, him for a living. You know, I mean, he's been providing for them, which is fine, but all of a sudden that's going to go away. And, and this, this guy that they thought was going to bring into, into being this worldly kingdom of peace is now going to be crucified. And, and they're just so confused. So like I've said before here in chapter 14, Jesus has been trying to comfort them. He's trying, tried to show them the legacy he's going to, prov he's providing to them. Um, he's tried to point out to them the supernatural peace that there is in truly having a saving faith in Christ and truly being in Christ and he being in them and being in the father and him being in them and being in the spirit and the spirit being in them. He's trying to show that. But then we got to this last section, verses 28 through 31, and Jesus is trying, and, and what we're really seeing here is what does Jesus's death mean to him, mean to Jesus himself, not to us. And as I talked, out, talked about on Friday, you know, we think all the time about what it means to us. I mean, and that's kind of the, the, the crux of our faith. So I don't, I'm not, I did, I wasn't then and I don't now, I'm not trying to belittle what it means to us. Um, because without his death, 
without his crucifixion, we're not saved. I mean, he, he doesn't pay the price for our sins. And so we're not saved. So, you know, it's kind of the centerpiece of it. But at the same time, we have to understand what it means to him. We have to truly understand what it means to him. Not, not get, you know, oh, it, it means for him 39 lashes. It means for him all. Yeah, okay. But we truly, um, eternally need to understand what it means to him. So what we saw on Friday was that his ministry would be vindicated. Let me go ahead and read for you verse 28 through 31. This is our section on G what Jesus' death meant to him. So John 14, verse 28 through 31. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the father for the father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me, but so that the world may know that I love the father. I do exactly as the father commanded me get up. Let us go from here. So again, in verse 28 there, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the father for the father is greater than I. And again, we saw Jesus's ministry being vindicated. Um, the fact that, you know, he's going to be going away and he's going to be going to the father and they should be excited because that truly vindicates his ministry. It truly it makes clear that all the things he's been saying and where he's been saying that his authority comes from is true, that he's going to the father. So they should be excited by this. But the fact is they're thinking about themselves. Now I, I say that knowing that I would be thinking about myself too. Um, you and I both would be, I, I mean, I'm sorry. It's, it's really nice for us to be all altruistic and be like, Oh no, no, no. I'd be trying, you know, yeah, that's the right answer, but it's not the true answer. So, you know, so he, he makes that point, but it shows clearly that his ministry would be vindicated. And that's what he say, states there. Well, we get into what we're talking about tonight verses 29 through 30a. And what we see there is his message would be verified. So verse 29 through 30a. And now I have been told, I'm sorry. And now I have told you before it happens. So that when it happens, you may believe I will not speak much more with you. So these guys believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They've clearly stated it multiple times. Uh, John 6, 66 through 69. And again, this is in the book we've been studying. So we've covered this as a result of this. Many of his disciples went away and were not walking with him anymore. Those were the hard sayings that he was making. So Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy one of God. Again, he's proclaiming him right there as the son of God, the Messiah. Uh, Matthew 14, 33. And those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are truly God's son. I mean, that's Matthew, which is a, gives a little bit more color to the fact of him walking on the water and then stepping into the boat. So they say, you are truly God's son. Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 through 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples saying, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So he said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So they've clearly proclaimed that he's the Messiah. They know this, okay? They, they, this isn't even really a faith thing. They know it's him. But despite, despite these statements, Jesus repeatedly rebukes them for their lack of faith, such that, the, that, the, such that they said to Jesus um, in Luke 17, 5, they say, and the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. They asked him to increase their faith because they were still struggling with a lack of faith. I mean, even at this point, like I've said before, they're struggling with the lack of faith and it's going to be challenged even more as he's arrested. And then he goes through all that he goes through. This is not what they expected of their Messiah. They, they, they've, they've got a misunderstanding and, and you know, it's, we can sit there and bash them all they want to, because, you know, they've been around for all the miracles and all that stuff. But at the same time, they still came out of the twisted and false religious system that is running rampant in first century Israel. Um, that was set in place by God, but has been so twisted as to not even resemble it anymore. By the time we hit the first century, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, and the scribes have made such a mess of it that it is a false religion at this point. So again, as much as these guys are kind of falling apart at this point, and Jesus has been trying to comfort, comfort them and, pro, and provide for their flagging faith, he states what we see in verse 29 with this not being the first time he stated this. Again, verse 29, And now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens you may believe. So go back to John 13 verse 19. From now on, I am telling you before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Now, remember, when, when we went through this a month ago or so or whatever, when I, when I said it, I said, from now on, that really the verse in the Greek is, from now on, I am telling you before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am. We add the he in English, and again, it's a capital H-E, meaning that I am God. This is an I am statement. This is basically saying that he is telling them before it occurs. So that when it does occur, they may believe that he is God, that he is Yahweh, that he is the incarnate God. Thus he is the son of God. So again, he's telling these things beforehand to make clear that he's telling true prophecy. Therefore he is God because the Old Testament makes it very, very clear to the disciples that only God could predict the future. Jesus is laying this out so that it will be even more clear that, that when all of this comes true, that will have verified his message as it will make clear that he is the son of God. Again, you know, you can sit there and go, and of course you would ask the question, well, wait a minute, the prophets were doing that. Except when the proper, when the prophets made prophecy that came true, they said, thus says Yahweh meaning they were repeating Yahweh's words that Yahweh had given to them. They weren't making predictions on their own. They were, they were clarifying or they were instructing the people from Yahweh himself. So again, God is the only one who can predict the future. So Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this to show you that, I'm sorry, let me back up. For now, from now on, I am telling you before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am that I am Yahweh, basically. 
as he says in verse 29 here, and now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe he's trying to buoy up their faith. He's trying to support their faith, to give them something that their faith can rest on and be solid on a foundation. So from the old Testament, Isaiah 42, nine, behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things before they spring forth. I cause you to hear them again, God prophesying Isaiah 46, nine and 10. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my counsel will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. What he's saying there is that when he's saying in from ancient times things which have not been done, it's things that have not yet happened is what he's talking about there. So he's saying I speak prophecy, things that haven't happened yet but are going to happen. Isaiah 48, 3 and 5. So verse three, I declared the former things long ago and they went forth from my mouth and I caused them to be heard. Suddenly I acted and they came to pass. Verse five, therefore I declared them to you long ago before they happened. I caused them to be heard by you, lest you say my idol has done them and my graven image and my molten image have commanded them. Again, he's stating clearly your idols aren't doing anything. I'm doing it. Yet God goes on to state clearly of the idols, the, the ones I was just speaking of, of Israel's idols in Isaiah 41, verse 22 through 24. Let them bring it forth and declare to us what is going to take place. He's saying this about the idols. As for the former events, declare what they were, that we may establish our heart on them and know their outcome, or cause us to hear of what is coming. Declare the things that are to come afterward, that we may know that you are God's. Indeed, do good or evil, that we may anxiously look about us and fear together. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is non-existent. He who chooses you is an abomination. Again, making clear that only God can truly prophesy. Yes, he used the prophets to bring those prophecies to the people, but it wasn't the prophets prophesying. So Jesus is making clear, I am prophesying. And when these prophecies come true, you will know that I am God. These things coming true would increase the faith of the disciples, especially when they needed it most. Now, all we got to do is go back into John again, John 2 verses 19 through 22. So again, remember, John is writing this from, you know, decades after the fact. So he leaves us little footnotes in, in his writing and his historical recounting of these things to make clear that they, at the time they didn't understand, but when these things occurred in the future, they recalled it. So John two, verse 19 through 22, Jesus answered them, destroy this sanctuary. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this sanctuary. Speaking of the temple there, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. Here's John's footnote. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Jesus, Jesus will make any number of predictions, and in them coming true, we see the faith of the disciples increased. Uh, John 20, verses 8 and 9. So the other disciples who had first come to the tomb I'm sorry, the other disciple, this is speaking of John and Peter after um, Jesus has been resurrected. So the other disciple, that would be John, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So again, when, they, when, when John came, John is saying, when he came and saw 
that Jesus was not there and the way it was, there's no way he was just taken that he had rose. John believed. So again, Jesus is telling them these things so that when it happens, when these things happen, they may believe that it will build their strength up. And that verifies that verifies Jesus's message. Again, he's been saying, I'm speaking from God. I'm speaking from the authority of God. Well, he's making these predictions and they come true. Therefore he is God. And so that is his authority. So his message is verified. Now, of course we go on. I, I said, we've got verse 30 a, so look at this. I will not speak much more with you. So again, Jesus is not saying, Hey, I got about five more minutes. Then I got to go. He's not saying anything like that. Again, we've, we've got, um, in this gospel, um, even once we finish chapter 14, we've got all of chapter 15 and all of chapter 16, where he's going to speak to them and continue to try to minister to them. Okay. So that's not what he's really talking about. We need to understand that what he is indicating is that he will be taken away from them soon, that he's going to be taken away soon. So that's what he's saying. I will not speak much more with you again, saying you're not going to have me to minister to you and teach you for much longer trying to remind them that the time is short. So they really need to pay attention as these will be the last words he's going to be speaking. So this is what he's saying. But again, Jesus has made, has made very, very clear here. And he's tried to say it multiple times again. You know, I was quoting to you where he said the same kind of thing back in John 13 is he's trying to make clear to them. Listen, I've done all these miracles and these miracles alone should attest to the fact that I am the son of God. Therefore my ministry and my message are true. But then he's also saying, listen, on top of that, I am going to prophesy to you. I am telling you these things are going to happen before they happen so that you will understand that I am God, that I am Yahweh, that I know what's going to happen. And therefore I have that authority. And at the same time, making clear that not only does he have that authority and that message is verified, but the fact is that he is God. And no matter what they try to do to him, he is God. He is truly the Messiah. He is truly the son of God. So no matter how much it is freaking them out, that this guy that they were assuming is their earthly Messiah is going to be murdered, is going to be crucified, that things are going to be okay. That, that they still have a mission, not that they're going to be easy because they're not going to be. He never tells the disciples it's going to be easy to carry out their mission, but that he is not going away. I mean, again, he's been stating that throughout the section where he's trying to comfort them and where he tries to provide them, you know, the, show them the legacy. And then when he tries to show them peace, he's trying to, he tried to make clear there that, yeah, he's going away, but he's going to be coming back. And the fact is he's also going to be sending another advocate you know, that the Holy spirit to be with them, that they're not orphaned, that they're not left alone. And he's tried to make clear with that is you don't need to freak out. Well, this should even more confirm that because not only is he making accurate predictions and they're going to see those predictions are accurate, thus going, Oh, this must be God. This, this must be God incarnate. This must be the son of God. But at the same time going, Oh, because it is God then he must have a plan here. There's no way man can overcome him. 
Therefore, we should trust in him. Again, it should give them the ability to trust in him. Now, again, this, this, this is not a magic formula. And all of a sudden, everything's hunky-dory and they're looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and, you know, all of that. Again, they're, they're still going to go through some rough, rough times. And like, like I read to you, you know, the, the, the disciples, the 12, ask, Lord, increase our faith. Um, and, and we should do the same thing. Lord, increase our faith because there's many a time as much as we know that for those who believe that all things, no matter what they are, are meant for our good, our spiritual good, the good of our walk, even when we don't understand it. And what that, what that is truly is a lack of faith. It really is a lack of faith. And I say that stumbling, struggling with it myself. It is a lack of faith. We must manifest a true faith in God, a true faith in Jesus Christ, that because he is God, these things are going to work out for what's best for us and for our walk and for his glory. And that's what matters most. But again, what we saw here is Jesus, you know, we've talked about, what does Jesus' death mean for him? Well, it means clearly that his ministry would be vindicated and his message would be verified. All right, that's going to do it for this evening. We'll end up picking up tomorrow evening to move on further to deal with uh, verse 30b. Um, and I forget what the title of that section is, but we will deal with that tomorrow evening, God willing. Um, I hope you have a wonderful night. I thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that this time together would help um, your your knowledge of the scripture grow and help to shape your, your walk, um, your Christian walk, that walk of sanctification. Uh, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to cl- close out with the second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affections, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, give them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out the wor- live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for this time, for spending this time with me. Again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening and I hope to see you tomorrow. Have a good night. God bless.